Let's uh, bow once more for a word of prayer. Father, we um, thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. I pray that right now our hearts would be focused on you and focused on your word as we take another look into another parable, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leavened bread. And I pray that as we uh, see this text, as it is explained, that we would uh, take what we learn and apply it to our lives. And we just thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are yet again going to be in Matthew 13. Uh, in our next parable, uh, the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. And so I'm going to just read those verses for you. It's going to be Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33. And it says this. He said, It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so as we are looking at this parable, we have to remember where we have been. That is, we already looked at the parable of the sower. And again, this is that was about the different kinds of people that the disciples and us will be uh, reaching out to as we evangelize into the world. Uh, And if you recall, uh, one of the four, right, is the one who repents, that is, the good soil. And so that can be a little bit uh, tough or depressing, right? You might think, well, I'm going to evangelize to all these people and in a short sense, a lot of them will reject the gospel. And that can be difficult when that happens. And then he moves on to the parable of the weeds, where we looked at last week, where we see that uh, the kingdom of darkness is also affecting this world. And he's planting the bad seeds, the weeds, the tares. Uh, And we saw that ultimately Jesus is going to be the victor in the end. Um, But still, for us in this world, it's a little bit tough to realize that we are Uh, Not only battling people's hearts from the sower, but we are also battling a spiritual warfare um, through Satan and what he is doing in this world as well. And so at this point, Jesus gives them this parable uh, to encourage them, to help them to realize that even the smallest seed can grow to be a tree. The first thing we have to address when we're looking at this parable is which kingdom? Again, kind of like last week, and we looked at the field, right? And there's a lot of differences in how people viewed the field. Uh, there's a lot of differences on how people view this parable. And the thing with this parable is they are drastically different views. Um, the first view is the kingdom of darkness. Well, people will say, well, this parable illustrates the kingdom of darkness growing. They have a lot of different thoughts for why they would say this, mainly because of where it's positioned, right? In between the parable of the weeds and the parable of the weeds explanation. And so they say it's kind of an extension of the parable of the weeds. The other reason they would say that this is about the growth of the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, would be 
because of the birds. Uh, it is mentioned here that uh, it is larger and becomes a tree in verse 32, and the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And again, they would look at the verse or previous to this in the sower, when the bird comes and snatches away which was sown, that being the bird being the devil. And if you recall last week, I mentioned that we have to be very careful in doing that because each parable should be seen as its own entity. Um, And this is one of those cases where it can be dangerous to take different aspects of the parables and combine them. And so uh, the other reason would be because of the leaven. Obviously, when you, just as we will, we're going to kind of look at the mustard seed and the leaven parable as similar, as in they are saying the same thing, just in a different way. And so in, in uh, the Bible, leaven is often represented with as something evil. And so they say, well, it's usually something evil, so therefore it's evil here. We will get to that when we get to the parable of 11. Um, but for right now, I'd like to advocate that this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This is about the growth of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, And it's kind of hard to justify the, to see it as anything other than that, because in verse 31, he literally says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. So it's kind of hard, whenever someone tries to justify it as being a kingdom of darkness, and this about the growth of the kingdom, they never really talk about those specific words that he specifically says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. And this is the same with all of the other two Gospels. And Marcus says this, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? Uh, So he's again just saying, what are we going to compare with the kingdom of God? Luke again says, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? And then he compares it to the mustard seed. Uh, that's a kind of long explanation to say when you look at this parable, you need to view it as the kingdom of heaven, uh, and it is the growth of the kingdom of heaven. And again, as I said, it makes sense at this point in time because the disciples might be feeling a little bit defeated before they even start the race. And so he's basically telling them, look, regardless of what happens, regardless of what Satan does, regardless of man's heart, this kingdom of heaven is going to flourish. And so now we can dig into this, and it says, it is the smallest of all seeds. Uh, And that is to say it's really small. Uh, There is a proverb at this point in time that said, um, uh, small as a mustard seed. And so it basically pointed to the idea of something really small. It's one of the smallest things they could think of at this point in time. Again, we have to bring this out because you might have heard reference of this parable. Often it is someone arguing against the uh, inerrancy of Scripture. They say the Bible has error because Jesus at one point in time says that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. Uh, And it isn't actually. There are seeds that are smaller than the mustard seed. But this isn't an error in Scripture. Uh, Even though it's not the smallest seed ever in the history of the world, or even at that time, it is the smallest agricultural seed known in Palestine at the time. 
And so you have to relate to Jesus, right? He's not going to go explain to them all the different kinds of seeds in the world and bring up a seed that they have no clue what he's talking about. He uses what's there in front of them. That seed was the smallest seed that they knew at that time, and so he's comparing it to the size of a mustard seed in Palestine. In the end, Jesus here starts out relating the kingdom of heaven to something really small. Because um, in the end, when you think about it, the kingdom of heaven had really small beginnings. Uh, I was even thinking Jesus, right? His birth, a very humble birth, um, born in a manger uh, in Nazareth. I like what MacArthur said. He says, in, in the insignificant backwaters of the Roman Empire in Galilee, Nazareth was among the least promising. And so he's born in a manger, and he's born in Nazareth, which was seen as least promising. And we actually see that. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but in John, uh, in the first chapter there, we get a glimpse of this idea because in John 1, verse 46, um, Philip and 45 says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the uh, Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's all excited. We found the one who Moses and all the prophets were talking about. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So that was kind of the thinking at the time. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And so Jesus really has humble beginnings. And then you, when you think about Jesus, you can also think about his disciples. Uh, all of them had a pretty small start. None of them were significant people. None of them were religious leaders. None of them had much political gain. Uh, they were just ordinary people. Um, and yet God used those people in a mighty way. Even when you think about the church, the church started very small. In Acts 1.15, we read that it started with 120 people. Uh, you could say it was as small as a mustard seed, right? That is what Jesus is getting at. Uh, that it's going to start off really small, but it's going to grow really big. And it's not going to grow because of any particular person, right? He uses ordinary people. When I look at all of you, I just see very ordinary people. Nothing special about you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. So, so he uses uh, it's small beginnings, right? And so he uses the least of us. And as I was thinking about this, that's kind of how it has always been. Turn to Judges with me. And again, we're going to be... I'm looking, going to turn to Gideon, which is um, Judges 7. Judges 7. The account of Gideon in which uh, we're going to look at verses 2 through 8. And it says, The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying... My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim the ear, uh, in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. 
Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And so here Gideon's about to go into a very important battle. And he's gathered, a bunch of people have gathered together, and they're about to go off into battle. And Jesus says, or Jesus, God says to them, you have too many. We need to get rid of some of these people. And you have too many because if you win this battle, you're going to boast about it. Because your army was so big, you were such a great leader. And so, unless you boast, we're going to get rid of some of these people. And so he gets rid of some of them. And he keeps going down, and then verse 6, you can see in a number of those who drank, right, he tells them to sip water. In verse 6, and it ends up that there are 300 men left who are going to be able to fight. And so he goes from having a huge army all the way down to 300 people. And you can look at that whole account if you want. It's very, um, very interesting Due to time, we won't be able to look at all of it. Um, and so, uh, he ends up... So God ends up not only... He had a big army, but God says, no, nope, you need to have a smaller army unless you boast. And this is a really, really, really small army. It's so small that if they win the battle, you could only say it was because God let it happen. And that is the point, right? Lest they boast... Uh, There is no way that Gideon can get out of that saying, I did that all on my own. He has to acknowledge that God helped him through that situation. And so, it's again that idea of God using even the least of us uh, and using our difficulties in life uh, for his glory. And so, if we're going to boast, right, we need to boast in Christ. And so, turn with me to 1 Corinthians now. 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. He says, For I consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. And so, he's saying the same thing. God calls all ordinary people. Look at you. None of you have been... Or not none of you, not many of you are wise according to the world. Not many of you are normal, uh, noble birth or powerful. And they says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring um, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Right? He's using the lowly. He's using all these people that we would look at and say they're not going to accomplish much because when you look at them, you say, he only did that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus uh, Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Uh, if we could remember this passage throughout our whole life, we would have um, a much deeper understanding of who God is. Uh, it's so easy to get out of this life and We get a good job, maybe, and we think, oh, yeah, look at me. I got this great job. I'm this very important person. 
Or we get this nice thing, you say, oh, I'm so great, I, I worked for this, this nice thing. Or we do something, right? And, oh, it's so great that I was able to accomplish that. Uh, but we really need to remember that when we do those things, we only do that through the power of God who gives us the ability to do those things. And so even in those things, we need to be focused on God and say it is only God who gave us those things. So I'm not going to boast about those in my own. I will boast in him who gave me those things. So we just need to remember that. We aren't much to boast about, um, but we need to boast about him who is in us. So God uses the least, right? The smallest of all seeds. And then eventually those become larger than all the garden plants, and they become a tree. And this is, again, where people say, well, again, it's in, there you see a little bit of errancy here in Scripture because the mustard seed actually turns into a bush. It doesn't turn into a tree. Um, but the idea is that it grows so much, it becomes something all, else altogether. Uh, in Palestine, actually, though, the mustard seed bush actually grows to be pretty much a tree. It grows 12 to 15 feet uh, in one season, uh, much larger than anywhere else in the world. It was actually noted by travelers just how large the mustard seed grows in Palestine because of the heat at the time, or even now. So it grows very large, uh, beyond its natural, really, what for Palestine, for travelers, they would say that's beyond what it should grow. And so the kingdom, again, starts very small, but then it grows. It grows significantly huge. Um, and that is the point of both of these parables, that the kingdom of heaven is going to start very small, but it is going to grow and grow and grow and become very large to the point where it's a tree. I actually have an illustration that highlights this pretty well. It's George Smith um, thought his ministry was a failure. He was a missionary to Africa. Uh, he felt called to Africa, but he was only there for a short time as a missionary when he was driven from the country. He left behind one convert, a woman. Not long after that, George Smith died on his knees praying for Africa. Some years later, a group of men stumbled onto the place in Africa where George Smith had ministered. They found a copy of scriptures he had left behind, and they met the one convert of his ministry who led them to the Lord. Later, a missions organization did a study and determined that a hundred years after George Smith left Africa, 13,000 people had come to faith through his ministry. And so he never even saw the fruits of his ministry. But the thing is, it is really God's ministry. Uh, that only flourished, that only happened through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so even if he was alive, he couldn't boast about it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, because it is God who does the work. And so that's what we need to remember. And as we're looking at this parable, the big thing is that there is nothing that has or will stop the growth of the kingdom of heaven. When you look through history, there's been church history, right? There's many times persecution um, takes a hold, and people want to just wipe away the Christians. 
all of them. And through all of that, they still survive. Some of them very small again, uh, but they again start to flourish and grow and become a tree. So again, no one can boast because it is God causing that growth. The next point we're going to look at here is the kingdom's outward blessings. Uh, And the first thing is blessed by our good character. Uh, It says it becomes a tree. Um, But when you're thinking about the growing of the kingdom of heaven, we also need to think about the growth, the personal growth that happens with every single believer as well. Uh, Faith as small as a mustard seed, right? But then that grows and becomes a tree. And so when you're thinking about the growth of the kingdom overall, you have the growth of each believer as well. And that growth of our character should lead to good works. And so we have to turn to Titus for this. In 1.16, there's an example of bad works. It says, They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Now, this was the bad people, right? And he was, they were saying all these things, and what they said you probably would have agreed with, um, but it's their actions that he was looking at as well and saying, well, they're saying one thing and they're doing a whole other thing. And so then he gets to a point where he's trying to relay the fact that we need to have uh, good works, that what we know, our doctrines, our theology, the things we know about God, that should affect the way we live our life. Um, from your good character, from knowing who God is and his will, that should flow into doing good things, good works. And so, again, this is nothing new. This is something we've been looking at in these parables, right? A tree is known by its fruit. It's something we've said a lot. But I like Titus because looking at it, he mentions us so many times after this. Um, that if we know who God is, we good works should flow from knowing who He is. Look at verse two, uh, chapter two, verse seven. He says, "Show works, um, show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity and dignity." Then go to two fourteen. Who gave Himself? Uh, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Then go to verses 3-1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to uh, be ready for every good work. 3-8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Last one, 3.14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Do you get the point? (laughs) You should, from what you know about God, should flow into good works. And from that, uh, we, we see that uh, the world is blessed by that. 
blessed by your effect in the world. And so the birds of the air make um, nests. And so you can see this, birds of the air make nests back, this is back in our, in Matthew, in case you're curious, the last part of this. The tree becomes so big so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Uh, The birds of the air here can be seen uh, either as different parts of the world coming in. Some people think it's the Gentiles then, right? Sorry with the Jews, and then the birds of the air kind of represent the Gentiles coming into it. Um, But you can also... Um, see this as a larger picture as the world being blessed through uh, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this birds of the air carries an idea of protection, safety, uh, safety refuge, and sanctuary. Um, again, there's no reason to see these birds as the devil, uh, as I mentioned earlier. Um, but this is something kind of familiar with people. Actually, if you turn to Daniel... Chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4, verse 10, it says this, The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached the heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all, the beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heaven lived in its branches, and all the flesh and all the flesh was fed from it. And so you still have that idea, right? This grand tree uh, that is huge, and a bunch of different things live with it. The birds, things found shade under it. Uh, a tree grew in it, was very strong. This is a representation of Uh, the Babylonian Empire at the time, uh, that it was so expansive that it uh, found uh, that other nations uh, came into it and they found shade and they uh, were birds that came and nested in its branches. And we see this through verses 20 through 22. Uh, He specifically tells them, the tree you saw in interpreting this The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its tops reaches the heaven, and it is visible to the end of the earth, whose leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field made shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached, reaches to the heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Uh, and so you kind of, you can, you know, go in and see where the rest of that goes. Not very well for him, but the idea is there, right? When Jesus would have mentioned this, that would have been something that came to the disciples' mind. And Daniel, oh, there was this tree that grew and became expansive, so expansive that other nations came and found rest underneath it and on it. And that's not the only place in Ezekiel. We won't really turn there, but with Assyria, there's the same idea that Assyria grew so large and expansive that uh, things, uh, other nations found rest in it. Uh, And actually it says, 
the same exact thing. In Ezekiel 31, 6, it says, All the birds of heaven made their nests in its bows under the branches of all the beasts of the field and gave birth to the young under its shadow. And so it has that same idea of this tree that grew very large to the point where other nations found refuge in it. And so again, they would have seen that and connected that here. And so Jesus is having that same idea that we're going to, the Christian, the kingdom of heaven is going to grow so large and so expansive that's going to affect uh, even this world. And when you think about it, Christians have done a lot of amazing things in this world, hopefully for the glory of God, right? Uh, it's just natural. We live here. Uh, even as we live here, we have to do things, right? We have to have a job. We have to try to make even this world a little better. And we do that through the Holy Spirit, through the work of the gospel. Um, but as we live in this world, I want to actually, it's important to turn to, I guess, Philippians at this point in time. Philippians 2.14, because uh, it kind of uh, helps with this. Philippians 2.14 and 15. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as a light in the world. And that is the idea. When you think about it, Christians in this world should be a light in this world. And we should do all things without grumbling or disputing. And when you do that, uh, you are being a blessing to those people around you. Hopefully that turns into the greatest blessing that that person could ever have, which is uh, believing in the gospel and turning to Christ. Um, But for the time being, right, as you're working, all of you, most of you work, right? Uh, And if you are that person who does all things without grumbling and disputing, your boss will notice you. And they'll say there's something different about them. And even if that person never comes to know Jesus, um, you lived your life with your good character, you did good works, and you did what you were supposed to. And so they're going to look at you and say there's something different about him. And even if they don't accept him, they are going to be blessed by what you are doing even in your workforce. Hopefully that makes sense. And so when you think about all aspects of life, right, or all aspects of even uh, work, like art, science, literature, business, industry, commerce, government, all departments, if there are believers in there, they should be blessed and they should be more focused uh, on the Word of God. I like this ver- these verses, do all things without grumbling and disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Because as I was thinking about it, I always think of uh, us, you know, a fruit, uh, a seed is known by its fruit, or you're known by your fruit, those things you do, those works you do. And I always think of it from like the Christian's perspective, um, kind of thinking like, As I look into this world as a person's faith, um, part of the way I would judge their faith is by their fruit. 
Um, but it is not just Christians who do that. Uh, when the world looks at you, they are also judging you according to your fruit. On um, those things you do, they are watching probably even closer than other Christians are. And that is how I think you can make the biggest impact, is when they see your fruit, right? They see there is something different about you. And then they'll probably at one point in time ask you, how is it that you are so happy even when? How is it that you are always uh, happy even though? Uh, What is it that is constantly encouraging you? And so then you have the chance to share the gospel with them. And so as you're going through life, right, giving every aspect of our lives to God results in the blessings of those around us, which hopefully leads to the greatest blessing they will ever receive, which is the gospel. So that is the outward blessings of the kingdom. We actually will move on to our next, before I close out here, the next parable, which is, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all, le- uh, till it was all leavened. We're going to see the kingdom's inward blessings as well. So the leaven here, I kind of have to point this out because... Leaven is not inherently evil. Uh, It is used negatively very often. Just turn a few. This will illustrate it very well. In chapter 16 of Matthew, we see this idea. Uh, You might even recall uh, like Galatians and 1 Corinthians where the idea is a little bit of leaven. Leaven's the lump. You might remember that. Uh, That idea that a little bit of sin can cause a great impact. And so we see that idea here as well. Uh, Looking at verse 5 in Matthew 16, it says, When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? It's almost like comical how this kind of plays out. (laughs) Jesus is uh, obviously talking about um, the Pharisees and Sadducees, not their physical bread that they brought, um, but their teachings. And so, but anyways, they're like, we didn't have any bread. Uh, Verse 9, do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered, or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you failed to understand that I did not speak about the bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. (laughs) So he's basically saying, stop thinking about the bread It is the idea that I want to get to cross. Beware of um, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So that was the point of Jesus' illustration there, is beware of their teaching, because a little bit of it will leaven the lump. Uh, It will be very destructive in the end. 
But that idea of don't think about the bread, it's just an illustration to get across the idea that their teaching can be very bad and destructive to the church. It's interesting because there are so many people who want to interpret this again as they say, oh, well, the evil is leaven, right? And they'll use Matthew and say, look, it was bad here. And so it's always used negatively in 1 Corinthians and Galatians. Uh, again, where the uh, leaven, a little bit of leaven, leaven's a lump. And so it's always bad, but we can't see it as that. Even in Jesus' teaching there, it is not, he is not talking about the physical bread being evil. It's just an idea to illustrate what he wanted. So, we don't always have to see this as something negative used in Scripture. And actually, we're going to see it used positively. Uh, Even on the day of Pentecost, bread had to be baked with leaven. And so, if leaven was always consistently bad, then that wouldn't be the case on the day of Pentecost. That would be cooked with that. And so, and when you think about in the Jewish culture, when girls were to be married, mothers would give them leavened dough, dough that they had. And this represented the love and blessedness of the household that she came from that is going to be now into the next household. And so in Jewish culture, it wasn't seen as a bad thing for the most part. Uh, There is a certain times of year where it was, or certain times where it was not. Uh, The rabbis had it as a saying, it says, Great peace, and that peace is to earth as leaven is to dough. And so, my point to all of this is that when you look at the leaven, it doesn't always have to be seen as a bad thing. You have to look at each context and what the context within what it's saying and come up uh, with a conclusion from that. And so, in this context, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And so, there's no reason to see it other than the fact that it is the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Um, And you might be, as I'm kind of saying this, a little bit concerned, which is natural, that how is it that people get this so wrong? And how do you know that we, I am advocating for the right conclusion, which I am, by the way. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But, seriously, uh, with both of them, there's not actually as much... um, Let's put it this way. There is no major doctrinal issues that are dealt with in this parable. As in, if you see it as the kingdom of darkness, as many do... Um, we everyone would agree that the kingdom of darkness is going to be growing, and it's going to continue to grow and get bad. Um, but at the same time, everyone's going to look at this world and say, but uh, uh, where there is sin, grace abounds all the more, right? That even though there's a bunch of sin in the world, the kingdom of heaven is going to continue to grow and flourish all the more. And so, if that makes any sense, there's really no, like, major issue where if you look at one, your whole theology is going to change. Um, However, Jesus was pointing to something very specific. There is a right and a wrong way to view this, regardless of the outcomes of this. And so, I advocate that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And so, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The point to this is it's going, we are going to penetrate the world 
Uh, it says he took and hid three measures. It is this idea that it penetrates deeply into the dough. Um, uh, and so we do this by holding every thought captive to Christ. I actually like what one commentator said. He said his purpose, this is the Christian's purpose, is not merely to get to heaven when he dies or only to be an instrument of God's hand to bring others there, but everywhere to bring every thought of whatever kind into submission to and therefore harmony with the mind and will of Christ. And so it's just not that idea of like, oh, I just want to get to heaven when I die. Or I just want to bring others there. It's this idea of putting every thought captive to the mind of Christ. We want our whole life to be reflecting who God is to a world that has no clue. Second Corinthians 10.5 illustrates this well. Second Corinthians 10.5. It says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Right? That every thought captive. It is when our mind is so focused on Christ, in Christ alone, then our actions will reflect that who Christ is. And when we do that, we will deeply penetrate the hearts and the minds of man as they look at us and they see something different. They see a light in a dark world. So, by being obedient uh, with our character, our good works, we will penetrate the hearts and minds of man. We will be in the world not of the world, affecting it positively through our lives. Ultimately, this should lead to the proclaiming of the good news of salvation. In conclusion, we have our last little bit, till it was all leavened, right? Uh, this is pointing to the end of the age when Christ returns. Uh, and we looked at that last week, so I won't go into detail about that just wanted to point it out Uh, in conclusion when we look at this we need to remember that the kingdom of heaven is going to grow Uh, like i said throughout times in history people will look at certain areas and say there's just no light there Uh, it's just darkness Um, but as we looked at with that illustration right just takes one person and the work of the holy spirit and then thirty thousand people or i can't remember what the number was ten thousand or 13,000, neither, uh, came to know Christ. And so it is God who works in the minds of man and their hearts to transform them. And so as we remember that, we need to hold every uh, thought captive to Christ, remember him always, and as we are always remembering him, always contemplating his word, meditating on his word day and night, that should flow into us doing good works. Um, and again, remembering all the while through the difficult times that it is God doing it. And he took that little seed and he's going to make it continue to grow until it is a tree. 
And so with that, let's just close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we had this time to look at this parable, uh, to um, see the the mustard seed and the leaven, to see that uh, your kingdom will start off very small, but it will grow and grow and grow. And we see that uh, in the world today. And I pray that uh, as we go out, that we would remember to always stay focused on you and be in your word day and night. And constantly meditating on it and constantly praying to you. And as we do that, I pray that we would have an effect in the world, that as the world sees uh, Ellington Baptist Church, that they would see a light in a dark place. Uh, and as they see the, uh, the members of Ellington Baptist Church, as they go out into the world, that again, they would see uh, something different, that they would see you through the lives of each individual believer. And we just... Thank you and praise you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.